right, everyone. Welcome back again to the Let It Ride podcast. Big news this week and this weekend. We will start with that. We are now a member of the Bandit Radio Network, along with One Team, One Podcast and the Out the Box podcast. Uh, I think there may be more on the way. But give them a look, too, after you get done with us. If you get a chance, we're very excited to partner up with them. And again, our reminder that our intro music is brought to you by at the Rays Artistry on Instagram. Why buy factory-made garbage jewelry when you can have quality handmade jewelry from at the Rays Artistry on Instagram. The big news for us was that I recently had correspondence with Frank William Wade, the head coach of LSU basketball, better known to the populace as Will Wade. And uh, he has assured me that he will be available at our request for not just one, but multiple interviews on our podcast once basketball season rolls around. That, my friend, is a big step in the right direction for us. Yeah, that's blockbuster, man. Uh, It doesn't get much better than that. We talked about that in our first episode, actually. We were saying if we got Will Wade on here, that would be monumental for our brand. And uh, here we are. Now, see, I was I was worried that there would be more hoops to jump through with Coach Wade. I was thinking, like, you know, you'd have to go through the SID. You'd have to go through Kent. Maybe there'd be some paperwork. But apparently not. Apparently, Coach Wade just has all the freedom in the world to do things like this. Great news for us. And he also assured me that there is some good news on the way for the LSU basketball program. That news I will keep under wraps. I will keep it confidential, but some very big moves on the way for LSU basketball, according to Frank William Wade. <laughs> I'm excited, man. I don't know. I have no idea what that could be, but if if Coach Wade thinks it's good news, it must be good news. Coach Wade is a man of great confidence. I'll tell you that. He's, dude, he's got so much confidence in this roster this year, man. He is ready and rearing to go. I mean, Darius Day's has a great chance to be first-team All-SEC type of guy. Like, he could be one of the best players in the country. If Trendon Watford comes back, similarly, he could be a guy in that same sort of conversation. Javante Smart is now a veteran. I mean, these guys, he's said it in interviews recently, and I'm starting to believe it more and more as time goes along. They really could be, like, top 10 quality good. Wow. I guess I never really thought about that. Do they don't get eligibility, do they? I mean, they played most of their season. I know spring spring sports do. I don't do basketball players. No, they're not getting an extra year of eligibility because I mean, think about it. You know, they played the whole regular season. Yeah. It's not like they missed a whole year. But um they will I mean, I really do believe they will be right at the top end of the conference once again and they will be in a great position. I mean, top five recruiting class coming in. 
they won't have Sharif and Josh LeBlanc until conference play, but those guys are going to provide some much-needed depth. I think it's going to be a great year for LSU basketball. We are a little bit of a ways away from that, however. Yeah, we got a lot to worry about before that. Um, we got this upcoming football season, and if if that happens or however that happens, I know it's big in the air, but we got a little insight on that with our guy Glenn. Brought him on the show, got a nice interview with him. Talk recruiting, talk, you know, kind of what the plan is with this breaking news that players in the SEC can start voluntary workouts. So, I mean, things are looking up, I suppose, but still not, still a lot of uncertainty. So we'll figure it out, I suppose. Looking up is a more relative term now yeah. than it's ever been. Asked. Yeah, exactly. But I happen to be square in the middle of a very heated football season on an NCAA 13 dynasty at my home back here in Ocean Springs, Mississippi. What team are you? Okay, so this was my route, right? I started offensive coordinator at Middle Tennessee State. Two years there, we won a Sugar Bowl. Wow. Okay, I I play all the games. And I play on All-American. I'm not good enough to play on Heisman. So I play on All-American. And I stumbled my way into a Sugar Bowl there. And obviously, the ultimate goal is to end up at LSU. Right. right? I got an offer to be the head coach at Louisiana Tech. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I infiltrated the state of Louisiana. I've spent the last three seasons just gobbling up all of the Louisiana and Texas recruits in an effort to sort of break down LSU from the inside and get Les Miles fired so that I can take his job. (laughs) And at this point, I've been unable to do that. I just, LSU is such a factory in that game. I can't break them down. Wow. I, uh, I was able to do that actually. Uh, Very similar strategy. I was playing, so my roommate has a, a PS3, and he brought it up to our apartment, and we were grinding it hard in kind of like in the heart of football season. Uh, we were playing like two to three games a night, and I was Louisiana Tech. He was Colorado State, and we so for, we played on All-American as well. And first season, you know, you you have Louisiana Tech guys, but you're also playing Conference USA schedules, so it was pretty easy. Uh, I ended up winning a bowl game. Second year, I actually beat him in the bowl game because we changed the BCS tie-ins to uh, the Mountain West winner and the Conference USA winner playing the Sugar Bowl. Uh, so after after I beat him in the Sugar Bowl, I moved to the SEC, and he moved to the Big 12, I think. And uh, I was a I was a ground monster, dude. I was a I had a Heisman winning. I had two Heisman winning running backs, and and I think back to back years, I won back to back national championships on All American. And after I won back to back national championships, we decided to move to Heisman. And when we moved to Heisman, we started losing and we lost interest, and we haven't played probably since November. So uh, we got like three four or five seasons, maybe four. Um, I won two national championships with Louisiana Tech, and I 
essentially made LSU garbage because I was beating them every year and getting everybody in the state of Louisiana building a dynasty. But um, we still have it, but we're on Heisman, so things got tough. And when the going got tough, we bounced. So um, that's where we're at. Yeah, that's that's the opposite of what we've seen from Michael Jordan through the course of the documentary. (laughs) Como, I think you lack that killer mentality. I mean, yeah, it's just hard. It's so much harder. But you should be like a big cat, man. He's always he's streaming all of his games. He's got this coach Coach Doug's movement going. I don't know what your coach's name is. If it's just Tommy, but uh, you should start. Okay, my coach's name. I was just about to touch on that. Excellent, excellent name. I think that we've touched on this topic before in just our normal conversations, but you're familiar with former Red Sox player Marco Scudero. <laughs> Dude, I talked about this with one of my friends. <laughs> yeah, I talked I told one of my friends about this and it was so funny. We yeah, we should we should just delve into Marco Scudero. I remember vividly our conversation, probably like a 45-minute conversation about this a couple of years ago. We'll cut it down. We'll cut it down. But Marco Scudero could actually theoretically have probably five or six different names. Because his name because his name ends in an S, his first name ends in an S, and his last name begins with an S, you can't tell where the first and last name break off. Right. right. Well, technically, so, so he goes by Marco Scudero, but his name is Marcos Scudero, but he just goes by Marco. So even he has kind of made a different name for himself. So he could be Marco Scudero. Which is what he goes by. He could be Marcos Scudero. Which is his real name. <laughs> he could be Marcos Cudero. Or he... Or, Mark O. Scudero. He could be an Irishman. <laughs> that, that is the name of my coach in NCAA football 14. Mark. Mark Oscudero. <laughs> and I mean you can take it you can really take it to an extreme. You could his name could be Marcos Udero. <laughs> it could be Marcosku Taro. I don't know. Marcosku Taro. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of possibilities. And I went with I went with Mark Oh, Scudero. Uh, it's just it's one of the funniest things to me in all of sports that that guy could theoretically have. I mean, really, if you take it to extremes, he could have up to seven or eight different names and you would have no way. Yeah, and there's really like you can't do that with many names. You definitely couldn't do it with my name. I, I don't, you couldn't do it with your name. His name is just perfect for it. Marco Scudero. The closest thing I've found is former Pittsburgh Steelers running back Franco Harris. Yeah. It could either be Frank O. Harris or it's actually Franco Harris. I think the way it needs to work is you need to have your first name end in an O. I think that's kind of the sweet spot, but not very many people's name in an O. Yeah. Another another funny one is I had so there was a guy uh 
in my high school graduating class. His name was Sean O'Brien. He may actually be a listener. And he was a Tampa Bay Rays fan, I believe he was. Maybe he wasn't a fan, but anyway. They had a player by the name of Sean Figgins. And he sp- I don't know if you remember him. His He spelled Sean, C-H-O-N-E. Mm, I don't. Yeah, Sean I don't remember Figgins. him, but I've seen that before. And so we called him Chone <laughs> throughout our high school career. We called Sean O'Brien. We called him Chone <laughs> in honor of Sean Figgins. Wow. Does he, do you still call him that? Is that like his name from now on? I've seen him a long time, and I hope that he's listening, but Chone. I haven't seen him in a long, long time. <laughs> Great guy. Great guy. That's funny. And uh, but yeah, man, Mark Oscudero is a at least I think one time national championship winning head coach at Louisiana Tech. And I'm, I'm working hard to break down the LSU hold on the state of Louisiana, get less miles out of there and get Mark Oscudero <laughs> to, you know, what, what LSU doesn't realize in this situation is that it is just in their best interest to bring on Mark. Oscudero because I mean LSU would win seven, eight national championships in a row. What uh what year are you in by now if you if you can tell that off your top of your head? I think seventeen, maybe. I because it's on NCA yeah. thirteen. So I think it's been uh maybe eighteen. I am probably through yeah, six okay. seasons. Um it's uh it's going good. It's going good. And I feel like you know, LSU can only last so long with Mark Oscudero out there on the recruiting trail. So it's only a matter yeah, of time. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Rusty Beefus was able to break down the LSU empire rather quickly. So I, I have faith in Mark. Yeah, Mark's, Mark's on the right track. And while we're on the topic with recruiting and college football, I guess it's a good time to switch over to our interview with LSU country on Sports Illustrated recruiting expert, Mr. Glenn West. We're going to be talking recruiting, uh, the, you know, current situation with COVID and a lot more with Glenn. Hope you enjoy that interview. All right. Today on the Let It Ride podcast, we have Mr. Glenn West from LSU Sports Illustrated, LSU country on Sports Illustrated, one of the world's leading experts on LSU recruiting, has been kind enough to join us today. We are excited to have him. Glenn, how you doing today, man? Oh, I can't complain, guys. You know, just looking forward to getting back to some sports here, and then it looks like that's what we're on our way towards doing. So, you know, can't complain, obviously. Before we get into that, we're going to get our couple of mailbag questions out of the way. I know Alex has those prepared, and we apologize for maybe the immature nature of these questions, Glenn. Okay. <laughs> I'm good for guys. Yeah, so uh, earlier this morning, we tweeted out on our, on our podcast Twitter um, that we're going to have you on our on our show later today and we asked we asked our uh, very small audience for some some mailbag questions for you and we got a couple and like Tommy said they both involved um your height uh, <laughs> first one we got was from our friends 
at uh, one team, one podcast, our friends along with us in Bandit Radio. He asked, has he ever dunked on an LSU athlete? Uh, yes, in my dreams. Absolutely. Uh, but <laughs> no, never, never in uh, real life and never will I ever be able to do that. But um, yeah, <laughs> never, never, ever. That's uh, pretty surprising, to be honest. I know a lot of guys like to ball at the wreck. Um, and I figured you could have given at least one of them a bot. Back when uh, Daryl Edwards was 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 here and and Brandon Rashaw, I mean, I'd pr- I'd play pickup with them every once in a while, and they were they were super nice guys. But uh, n- I never never dunked on them or anything. I got a couple threes on them though, but never never ever dunked on them. Uh, our next one is from our friend George, giving him a Twitter plug at McLaughlin one underscore one. Hey, he said, up, I know George. George and I George and I went to Keo France back in the day. Summer camp. Oh, there you go. Yeah. That's probably why uh, he asked this question. I feel like there's got to be some kind of insight to it. But he said, y'all got to ask him if he ever thought about walking on. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, never, never at LSU. I mean, I played high school basketball and had a couple small, like Division three looks, Division two looks. But, you know, kind of my first year with the program that I was really covering the team and whatnot, you know, Coach Wade kind of noticed me a little bit and and, you know, he he just kind of make jokes with me about walking on and, you know, I never really took it seriously or anything. So that was that was pretty much the extent of it. I mean, obviously you dream up, you know, kind of wanting to play basketball at LSU if you're a Louisiana kid. But uh, was never really the athlete that was required to be that that stellar uh, Division one player. So just uh, just some little jokes here and there with Coach Wade. But that's about it. Well, we'll we'll get into the substance of what we'd actually like to talk about with you, Glenn. And uh, just to give some uh, to give some foundation for the questions that Glenn received. Glenn is six foot ten. Um, I don't know if we actually gave that number, but six feet ten is maybe worth a couple of questions. But anyway, so uh, the big news came down today that the SEC is lifting the mandatorium on student-athlete, I guess, voluntary workouts and the like. Um, The first conference to institute that ban and then lift it. So, Glenn, I saw that you posted an article today uh, about that topic uh, with the news breaking today. And for those of us who aren't very big on reading the written word, maybe you'd like to outline your article for us what's going on yeah absolutely so you know uh starting june 8th is when uh you know it's it's been talked about for a number of weeks now when actually these athletes would be able to get back on campus and start doing some voluntary workouts and uh the ncaa ruling came down on wednesday it would be june 1st where you know athletes could start coming back to campus and voluntarily working out and today the sec they had a ban on 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 campus activities as well and they lifted that uh, going into effect starting June 8th. And uh, actually about five, 10 minutes ago, LSU uh, released their own kind of press comp- press statement saying that they would be ready for that June 8th date uh, for athletes to really start getting in there and getting back, uh, you know, through, uh, you know, voluntary workouts. So uh, it's just another, you know, stepping stone to hopefully getting this season back on track. I think, um, you know, you'll definitely see, uh, a ton of players start to kind of, you know, sift in here over the next couple weeks. And, you know, I think there's going to be a, you know, probably a couple day process of uh, really, you know, f- uh, getting these guys ready as far as the health 
and, and safety standpoint through physicals and whatnot. Uh, they're going to be, you know, over cautious with these players as they should be uh, before any, you know, workouts or anything take place. But uh, it was certainly a huge stepping stone moment today for, for the SEC and for, you know, really all of college football to try to get some of these athletes back so we can start moving towards uh, some semblance of a, a practice schedule later this summer. And uh, you talk about returning to a semblance of a practice schedule. Uh, maybe you could give us a little insight into, uh, I guess, how the timeline changes and maybe how the timeline could somewhat remain similar despite all this for uh, for an off season for, I guess, at least football. Yeah. Um, where would we normally be at this point and where are we now? Yeah. I yeah, guess, well, where, we, where we'd normally be is probably guys uh, coming in last, uh, you know, for, for voluntary workouts and stuff of that nature. You know, the coaches really aren't allowed to have a whole lot of in-person contact with the, the players during the offseason, during the summer. So nothing in, in that respect has changed a whole ton. But, you know, I think uh, obviously they would still be coming in and working out. You know, I know, you know, one of the big stories last year for that 2019 team was – you know, Joe Burrow would get the receivers in pretty much every weekend, every day and during the offseason and, and work on routes and work on timing and everything like that. So I think that's what you would be seeing in this case if uh, things hadn't kind of gone south in regards to the whole COVID thing. But, uh, you know, as far as what it looks like for this year uh, in particular, uh, I think, you know, my, a good buddy of ours and that we kind of know here, the LSU beat and everything, and Ross Dellinger, who is the national writer for Sports Illustrated, uh, actually came out with the story uh, this morning that kind of lays out what the plan's going to be as far as uh, summer, uh, you know, practice and, and, and getting, uh, you know, moving towards the season uh, to start on time. And it's uh, really going to be a six-week kind of practice schedule is what these conference leaders are going towards, uh, you know, kind of a two-week OTA period, which is essentially just walk-through practices uh, that would be in July, and that would be followed by a four-week uh, camp in August, uh, which would theoretically get, you know, athletes and everybody prepared for a season to start in September. So that was the basis of his story this morning is that, you know, hey, they're, these conference leaders are really trying to get this thing rolling um, and that some of these, you know, things should be enacted in the next, you know, couple of weeks. And, and a lot of these votes should be coming in pretty soon about, you know, uh, practice and, and what, what an actual practice schedule looks like. So um, in terms of these workouts or them allowing athletes back on campus on June 8th, is there any type of restrictions like how many guys can be in a facility at one time, stuff like that with like all these, you know, kind of staying within social distancing? Yeah, well, you know, the SEC uh, released a a whole list of protocols uh, along with their, um, you know, their, their ruling today and, you know, part of it is that, you know, coaches obviously can't have contact with the players that come in for voluntary workouts, but that doesn't pertain to strength and conditioning coaches. So you'll be able to see Tommy Moffitt uh, in there uh, with, with those, with those, uh, with those players and with those prospects and, and working out and, and getting them guy those guys back in shape. But, you know, LSU also kind of released their own, you know, guidelines today about 15, 10, 15 minutes ago. Uh, and it kind of involves, you know, strict, you know, screening for these student athletes uh, pretty much daily. Uh, th- these guys are going to be in for temperature checks or for 
you know, for, um, you know, for testing and, 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 and entering, you know, questionnaires and stuff of that nature. Um, you know, I think what you'll probably end up seeing is a lot of these athletes, um, you know, kind of come in for, you know, physical for, for, you know, practicing obviously social distancing protocols and things of that nature, uh, you know, working with, you know, local and state agencies, you know, to secure, uh, you know, necessary safe environments, uh, for these, for these athletes. I think you're going to probably see, uh, a, a limit and a cap on how many athletes, you know, you can have in the workout room at the same time. So, I think those are all things that the, the administration has really spent the last couple of weeks doing and preparing for, and uh, they seem to really get the they, they seem to really know kind of what what the plan is and, and kind of how they uh, you know plan to en- enact it and enforce it. So uh, it's it should be all all good news on that end. Sort of shifting our focus a little bit to the recruiting front, uh, the theme to this point uh, in the 2021 recruiting class has been an extreme surplus of guys committing. I mean, we've seen, I think, as of May 6th, I know there were three times as many commitments at that point uh, as there were in the 2020 recruiting class. And what that sort of calls to mind is, is that going to, is there at least potential for that to create a bubble going forward once these guys can sort of get on campuses and go through the whole visit process, is it possible that we're going to see an extreme surplus of decommitments? Yeah. You know, I think it's, somewhere yeah, I think it's certainly possible. I mean, um, you know, I, I've talked to a number of recruits here in the last month and a half or so, and really, you know, the, 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 the rulings to, you know, kind of postpone a lot of these recruiting trips and a lot of recruiting visits kind of, threw a monkey wrench in a lot of their commitment timelines because they were, you know, expecting to make, you know, trips this summer to these campuses and, and, and really, you know, learn a whole lot more throughout the evaluation process on about the schools that they were considering. Uh, but since all that's really been pushed back, you know, through June 30th at the very least at this moment um, and, and, and those recruiting camps and whatnot have actually been pushed all the way through July. So, you know, there's, there's certainly, a lot of people or a lot of recruits out there that are just saying, you know, let's get on these zoom calls with these coaches. Let's, you know, talk through their, what their plans are for me. And, you know, if this is something that I really feel like, you know, a school that, that really kind of gets me and kind of gets my personality and kind of how, uh, you know, I can be used. Let's just go ahead and commit right now. I mean, like, like, like you said, there's really no, uh, I guess, um, there's, it's not like you're committing, you're just really committing. You're not really signing a piece of paper or anything saying you're going to play for these guys. So you can obviously take back that decision uh, if the time comes in the fall where these kids are allowed to kind of go back on campus and, and, and kind of reevaluate and see where they are. Uh, but, you know, I think there certainly is the case for this trend to continue. I think you'll still see a lot more commitments here over the coming weeks. And uh, you absolutely could see a lot fall. Uh, if these kids are starting are, are allowed to start visiting these schools and getting on campuses. And sort of mechanically, I guess, uh, how have you seen uh, in your experience and in your work, how has the recruiting process sort of fundamentally changed in this environment? Because, you know, we saw the story a couple of weeks ago, uh, Cincinnati running back Corey Kiner, committed to LSU in the middle of an online 
virtual campus tour. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, how, how has that sort of changed and, uh, maybe more specifically on the LSU side, uh, how are guys sort of adapting? Yeah. I mean, you just said it. I think those zoom calls are something that really has been kind of a lifesaver for a lot of these big time college programs because it still allows you to be able to get, you know, face to face time with them, even if it's not, you know, right there in person, you know, you get to, uh, really be there with the recruit, be there with their families and show them kind of the the facilities and things of that nature. You get to do a lot of things with those Zoom calls. And that was something that, you know, Ed Orgeron was doing an, doing an interview earlier this week on, uh, I think it was off the bench. And he said that, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a tool that he didn't really know a whole ton about a f- few months ago, but it's something that they're going to continue to use uh, even after this is all done and, and, you know, you can get more of that one-on-one interaction with the recruits just because of how uh, useful a tool it is to be to be able to just be there with those recruits and you know you know through video conference calls and stuff of that nature. So I think you're certainly going to see a lot more of that uh, in the future. I think that's one of the the kind of positive that's been taken away from this for an LSU perspective is that they feel like they've really uh, done a, a good job on on getting. Uh, some of these recruits to to commit to them because of their successful you know uh, interactions with these recruits over you know these zoom calls so I think that's certainly a positive to be taken away and um, you know I think uh, we'll certainly see where where it takes them from here but uh, it, it was certainly a good a good start for for them so far in this recruiting class yeah I wouldn't imagine that the old guard including Orgeron and Insminger had a lot of familiarity <laughs> with stuff like this before all this broke out but it's good to see that it's good to see that that's going to become part of the arsenal going forward and i guess uh if it becomes part of the arsenal going forward it's a very different sort of attack i guess that we've seen on a recruiting front from orgeron and uh his guys with more of a national focus moscona has called it the recession proof method (laughs) um you know, sort of straying outside of the state of Louisiana to bring in these guys. We've got 12 commitments in the 2021 class, only two of them from the state of Louisiana. Out of 24 guys in that 2020 class, only six from the state of Louisiana. So this sort of method was already sort of coming into play before the national championship win. But how has that sort of maybe pushed them even further in that direction, given how much that helps the national brand? Yeah, I mean, look, the national championship was obviously huge for this for this program as far as national recruiting. Uh, you know, that I know, it, you know, a lot of people have made a whole bunch out of this whole two recruits only being in 2021. But, you know, I do think that a lot of the big time LSU or Louisiana targets that are out there still haven't committed. It's not like these are you know, big time Louisiana high school prospects that are going to other schools, they just haven't simply committed yet. And I think, you know, Ed Orgeron feels very, very strongly about this uh, 2021 uh, recruiting class in terms of Louisiana prospects. I mean, you want to start with, you know, Mason Jones is a defensive, uh, defensive end, defensive tackle that, you know, I think LSU feels really strongly on. I think Sage Ryan, uh, the athlete, the safety who, you know, a lot of people are very, you know, he's just ranked the number one safety in the country, I think, in 24-7's recent, uh, you know, uh, prospect rankings. Uh, there's there's a lot of guys that LSU is still chasing uh, from Louisiana that they feel like they have really strong uh, 
uh, potential to be able to grab. And, uh, you know, I think the, the national championship certainly helps from uh, that national perspective. Uh, I know just based off the conversations that I've had the last six weeks with these recruits, pretty much uh, one of my basic questions to them is were they able to follow this last season from LSU and, and just kind of the historic nature of this season and pretty much all of them say yes and that they're you know extremely excited by you know LSU showing you know interest in them and you know they consider it to be you know really just one of those top-notch blue blood programs and uh, I think a lot of that has to do with the the culture change that Orgeron's brought where uh, obviously the, the national championship win last year and uh, really just uh, it's been a it's been a good a good start to their to their 2021 class I mean I think they're uh, very, very, really much on their way to getting another top five class. And, you know, that, that's without all these, you know, high prospect Louisiana kids that have yet to commit yet. And you talk about getting another top five class, the previous class falling squarely in the top five, the 2020 class, just a host of very highly ranked guys. But uh, what's a guy that you're sort of looking at at this point as maybe someone who's flying under the radar who could really impress a lot of people? kind of guys that, that haven't even gotten on campus yet that, that I think the coaching staff really thinks can make an impact uh, once they get here, even in their freshman year. Uh, one guy that I kind of keep coming back to that I think is really going to have a lot of uh, opportunities first year is B.J. Ojolari. He's the you know, outside linebacker um, that LSU recruited to kind of come in and be a, a, a heavy set pass rusher for them. Uh, he's kind of the mold of those, you know, Caleb on Chassons, those Barkevious Mingos of the world where, you know, they just have so much speed off the edge that they're able to make an impact, uh, you know, really from, from day one. And I think the coaching staff is extremely high on him. Uh, I think he's going to come in and just be uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal player for them. Um, but I also come back and I look at, you know, a guy that they just signed probably about a month and a half ago, Jabril Cox, the linebacker, the inside linebacker, who that was a position where, you know, you're losing Patrick Queen and you're losing Jacob Phillips and you kind of don't have that experience. And you bring in a guy who, yes, it was the FCS, but it was the most popular, most successful FCS program uh, ever, really. I mean, North Dakota State, they won three championships while he was there. He was a three-time All-American, and he's going to come in and bring that experience from a from a from a leadership standpoint and from a talent standpoint that LSU, I wouldn't say was lacking, but they were just kind of missing. They just didn't have that experienced veteran that at that linebacking court they really needed. So, I would say those are two guys that I'm probably going to be looking forward to a lot to seeing uh, in LSU's defense next year. We we talk about uh, Eric Gilbert, who is the highest rated uh, tight end recruit in the history of 247 sports and really any recruiting site that you look at. Uh, you know, what the quotes that I've seen from Orgeron and Insminger and the like have been very mm-hmm. positive uh, in regards to Eric. But straight up, let's take the hype out of the equation. Just take all the extrinsic factors out. Is the kid really that I good? think so, yeah. I mean, he's – Kind of got that mold of a, a guy that you can line up pretty much anywhere uh, on the offense. Um, you know, you can line him up inside and outside. And I think Orgeron was saying, even as recently as a couple weeks ago, that they kind of, you know, with Scott Linehan coming in, he had a lot of, uh, you know, experience with Calvin Johnson. Um, 
and, and being able to move him around. And he didn't compare him to Calvin Johnson, but he said that they can use him in a Calvin Johnson type role. Uh, you know, whether it's splitting him out wide, putting him on the inside, they say he has the speed to be able to really make an impact on the outside. And he has a catch radius. And a, I think he's about six, three, six, four. I mean, he's, he's, he's as dynamite as they come uh, from a tight ends perspective. And I think you're going to see them use him uh, in just so many different ways for this team this year. Uh, and moving forward, that was a, a huge get for that program. Uh, and I think he's going to be one of those kind of generational, you know, one, two, three year players that, you know, can make an impact really from, from the start. Well, Glenn, uh, we will certainly be keeping an eye out for uh, more quotes on Eric Gilbert and BJ Ojolari and the rest of the class. Once uh, these, voluntary workouts get fired up and going but uh more than anything man glenn we really appreciate you stopping by and uh we'll uh we'll certainly be giving you a call again once we need a little more insight. absolutely guys thanks for having me on i really appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny it's so stupid <laughs> 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 It's so stupid, but it's so oh, funny. It's, it's <laughs> um, all right. Oh God, we've been in the break. We about the Mark O. Scudero thing. This is just—it's so stupid, but it's so funny. But anyway, Glenn, excellent interview. We got a lot of really good information out there. It was great uh, to get to talk with him for a little bit and he'll certainly be back uh glenn has a lot of expertise in the lsu basketball arena as well we'll be bringing him around once uh boot up season begins to roll around um fortunately we'll have our own little bit of insight once that season makes its way um makes its way here but again great interview i enjoyed it yeah, I'm excited to get into some basketball talk with him as well. Because, um, yeah, I feel like we have the most insight of the basketball team of anybody. I mean, we even got to end with the the big guy. Um, but, yeah, football season, like I said earlier, who even knows? And hopefully we can get some form of product on the field and we can see these guys ball out that – you know, Glenn was talking about, but I'm sure it'll be fun. It always is fun. Um, no matter what, it's going to be hard to top this last season, but it'll be a fun ride. And I think, I mean, I, I think the detriment that sort of comes with this COVID climate is going to be spread equally across college football. I mean, I feel like everybody sort of experiences the same hindrances. Like Miles Brennan isn't going to have the same kind of, chemistry with his receivers that he might have but Jamie Newman is going to have that same problem at Georgia Felipe Franks is going to have that same problem at Arkansas I mean throughout the country guys are going to be a little bit off to start but we've seen it before I mean it, it doesn't really take long a lot of the times for guys to get their feet underneath them and I mean Joe Burrow in his first season he came in late and it didn't take long before he was not firing on all cylinders the way he was in 2019, but 
at least serviceable and everything was fine, you know, probably four or five weeks into the year. Yeah, I anticipate, I mean, and this goes for all the sports. I know they're talking about NBA coming back, NHL coming back in the, the coming weeks. And for all these sports, it's just going to be a poor product. And that obviously goes for college football as well. But if if they go ahead with college football and they play these games and they don't have fans, which I think is probably the most likely situation, it's going to be so weird watching an LSU football game on, like, LSU Alabama in Tiger Stadium, and it's going to be like a spring game. That's just – I will never get used to that no matter how many games they play. Um, but it, that's going to suck, but it will be nice to just have something on TV. Yeah, and then – a uh, little bit of basketball talk. This came up yesterday. I tagged Mr. Cody Warsham in a tweet about his famous 30-point night against the LSU men's basketball managers in what became – I think it was supposed to be a manager game between our managers and Ole Miss or somebody like that. And they dropped out, so it became an exhibition between the LSU men's basketball managers and the Baton Rouge area media. And Cody Warsham, I don't think, before that night, no one was aware that Cody actually played college basketball. Cody played at Nichols. Not a ton, I don't think, but he was very much on the roster. And... Cody dropped a just clean, crisp 30 on the man. (laughs) And he did it. The thing about it is he – I feel like he did it in 18 minutes because he didn't play the full game. So I think he did it in like 18 or 20 minutes. And it was just nasty. I, I talk about that all the time. And Cody replied to the tweet. Fortunately, I think he's going to come on and talk about it. But if the walls of the Pete Maravich Assembly Center could tell stories, one of its better stories would be Cody Warsham's breakout game in that exhibition. I mean, the LSU managers on manager senior night wanted no part of that. I'll tell you what, if I was there, I would have given them the straps. You think so? Yeah, I would have given uh, Cody Warsham the straps, and then I would have gone on the other end and dropped thirty on his head. Um, you, you <laughs> did actually. You guarded Austin Eckler. I did. In- yeah, um, I have a history of guarding NFL running backs in basketball. So, seventh grade, um, I played at the time in eighth grade. Christian McCaffrey, he went to St. Thomas More. Uh, middle school and the and I went to St. John the Baptist middle school and we played in the Catholic schools activities league or something like that Casal and uh yeah he I was in seventh grade he was in eighth grade and he we got destroyed dude and then after the game he was like trying to show off for the girls or whatever and he almost dunked like he didn't get he, he got the ball up he threw it off the back of the rim as an eighth grader and we were like trying to touch net. Um, and then after the game, somebody was like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, he's better at football. And, and we all knew who he was because Ed McCaffrey, his dad, was uh, a Broncos legend. And I actually had an Ed McCaffrey jersey. So I, I was pretty hyped. Ed McCaffrey, unfortunately, was not there. 
Um, but I, yeah, I heard we were playing Ed McCaffrey's son, Christian McCaffrey, and I was excited. And then, yeah, in high school, I played Austin Eckler in basketball. Um, he went to Eaton High School in Colorado, which was – they were more of our baseball rival because they were good at baseball. Um, but so we played them in the regular season, and we actually beat them, I think, by nine or so, close to double digits. And then we played them in the Elite Eight in the state, in the state tournament, and they beat us by 30. And nobody could guard Austin Eckler. Um, he was just blowing by everybody and just dishing off to their big guys. Yeah, we, we lost to them by 30. And then he completely went off my radar. Like, I didn't even think about him. And one day, I just hear about Austin Eckler and the Chargers. And I'm like, there's no way that's the same Austin Eckler. Sure enough, it was. If you Google Austin Eckler and go Google Images and go to, like, the third or fourth page, um, there's a picture of him guarding me, actually, in that tournament game. But, yeah, Austin Eckler and Chris McCaffrey, who I – have played um, in basketball and then ended up being NFL running backs. So two of 32 starting running backs on this planet, you have guarded in basketball at some level. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And what's crazy is that Colorado is not known for their football, their high school football. Um, Colorado does not produce a lot of, uh, good football players, although LSU did sign a tight end from, from Grand Junction, Colorado. But three of the 32 running backs in the NFL have come from Colorado, Christian McCaffrey, Philip Lindsay, and Austin Eckler. So Colorado is a bit of a running back factory. Well, how about it? Yeah. I mean, good for Colorado, good for the Rockies. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess. It's all that mountain air. <laughs> yeah, I mean – Colorado has great distance runners because of that. And we have the Olympic training facility in, in Colorado Springs, which is even higher elevation than Denver. Um, I think it's close to a thousand feet higher. They're around 6,000 feet, but yeah, Colorado is a great place to train, man. Um, not a great place to play baseball if you are a fan, but it's a great place to train. But the thing so, I mean, altitude definitely plays a plays a role. But the thing about Coors Fields, why it's such a hitters-friendly park, one is the altitude, but two, which people don't realize, when they were building Coors Field, they knew of the altitude. And so they thought, if we make the outfield really big and the, and the fences deep, it'll be harder to hit a home run. But what they fail to realize is as you make a big outfield, you make big gaps and a lot more area for outfielders to cover. So I think Coors Field, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. Coors Field has the largest area of outfield. Um, So, you know, it's easy to hit doubles and triples and stuff. And that gets overlooked. People just want to talk about the altitude, but it's also the fact that it's a massive outfield with lots of gaps and just a hitter's paradise, essentially. Some excellent insight into Colorado hitting <laughs> from our Alex Cohen. Yeah, yeah. I I could, like I said before, I just I could talk about it all day. But, yeah, Coors Field, hitters-friendly park for sure. And uh, I think the Coors Field effect definitely gets a little overblown. It's just a cop-out to, to talk smack about or to, to downgrade or downplay, I should say, uh, accomplishments of guys who succeed there but whatever. 
And then also parallel universes are real. We yeah. talking about that the other day. Yeah, we were. And we were having a bit of a conversation. I, I do love talking about stuff like stuff that I just know nothing about, but like to think about. Um, and what, what you were saying, I forget what I told you. Oh, I remember the conversation. Exactly. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. You asked me. You asked me if in a parallel universe where time runs backwards, are they having a coronavirus? Oh, that's pandemic, right. right. That is right. That's what I said. And I know nothing about this. Don't take anything that I say to be to have any sort of scientific basis because it has none. I just approach it from a logical perspective. So this is all with the assumption that time in and of itself has like an end point. Like you can point to the beginning of the universe as like the start. But, you know, I don't know that time necessarily has an end. But if it does, you can put all of time on a line, you know, like a timeline. And so our coronavirus pandemic came about 13.8 billion years after the start of the universe. So in a universe where time runs backwards, you would assume that it would come about 13.8 billion years before the end of that universe. Right, right. right. Which, so, unless the coronavirus pandemic just happens to be at the very center point of both timelines, it's not going to be on the same spot when you invert it, when you flip it. Yeah, and see, the thing, my beef with that theory is that one, I definitely don't know. Like, I don't think there's just an infinite endpoint or a definite endpoint in time. And also, like, just because they say time runs backwards and, like, their physics is backwards, I don't necessarily think that means they start. It's not like a it's not like a VHS where they start at the end and are rewinding. I think it's just kind of like their concept of time is backwards from ours and their concept of physics is backwards from ours. You know what I'm saying? Like. I don't think it's necessarily, oh, their timeline starts at the end and our timeline starts at the beginning and we'll meet at some point. Like, I think it's just kind of like what what they perceive as time or whatever, what they perceive as physics is just parallel to ours. Look, we're going to have to we're going to have to get an expert. (laughs) We if we got a bird scientist on here, if we got a bird scientist on this podcast, we can get some kind of string theorist or something to come on here and talk you need to get about the writers of interstellar or neil degrasse type tyson whatever that guy's name is one of those two they would and i guess my theory doesn't make sense at all because both of them both of the universes i guess would have had to have started at the same time right. you know what i'm saying yeah. like big bang i guess it made both of them I guess. I think that's what the art. I mean, I don't know. I read through that New York Times article once. <laughs> and so I'm speaking from a very, very ignorant standpoint on the issue, um, which I mean, I think most people are. I don't know. Obviously, there's got to be experts or people who really research this. And <laughs> there's probably some, some, some guy who's listening and, and actually researched this and they're just banging their head against the wall on how stupid we sound right now but dude you drove you drove me down a serious rabbit hole when you sent me all that (laughs) stuff 
I started watching videos and all kind of stuff. Like I was on YouTube for a couple hours and it's none of it. The thing about stuff like that is none of it makes it any more clear. The more you dig into it, the more confusing it gets. Right. And yeah, I guess you did way more research than me. I'm sorry for putting you in the vortex like that, but uh, I did. I don't know. Did you see Interstellar, the movie with Matthew McConaughey? Yes. It's it's kind yeah. of like that in a way, but not really. It's kind of this. It's along the same train of thought though, like black holes, other universes, other planets, stuff like that. You know, different how time is perceived differently. It's it definitely makes you think. And if you really like, if you are, if you heard this black or this parallel universe news and really started going down that rabbit hole and you haven't seen Interstellar, I think now is the time to watch it for sure. I read an article immediately after that movie came out. I saw it in theaters. I read an article immediately after that movie came out and it either said that that movie was extremely accurate scientifically or it was extremely inaccurate scientifically and i can't remember and it's in the distinction there is very important obviously yeah but i'm leaning towards it was accurate i think that was the basis yeah my dad is smart my dad is a very smart person and he (laughs) teaches physics in high school and i think he's dabbled in that string theory stuff and that kind of stuff. And I think he said that it's pretty accurate based on his knowledge. Obviously, he's far from an expert. and But he knows more about that stuff than I do. So, I mean, I would take his word if he said from what he... As far as he knows, it's pretty accurate. Um, but then once they start getting into all like that black hole stuff, you know, that's when it starts getting kind of fuzzy. Well... I hope that our listeners have enjoyed this ride. We went from uh, NCAA football video games to LSU recruiting, the coronavirus pandemic. We've talked about black holes, parallel universes, and uh, Colorado sports. Your experience guarding NFL running backs in a completely different sport than football and my experience watching Cody Warsham, a LSU in-house reporter, absolutely dominate equipment managers at the game of basketball. So it's been it's been yeah, quite a it ride. It was a great ride. And we didn't really have a plan going into this. We were just gonna kind of freeform chat. But I think it went pretty well, man. I know like I feel like the whole reason we started this is because we would have these types of conversations all the time when we lived together, like the, like the Marco Skiro conversation. And so it's like, you know, if we're having these conversations. We feel like are pretty entertaining. We might as well put them out there for other people to listen. And I, I yeah, put them out there for other people to listen. And if you listen, great. And if you don't, ah, who cares? We're just doing yeah. some fun. Anyway. So this was just kind of like a, a little, toe dip into the pool that is the conversations Tommy and I had for for our two years of living together. Um, We cover a wide range of topics and we would usually top it off with me beating you in FIFA, but we could talk about that later. Did we play, okay, for the listeners, we played a bet, we played a best of 100 (laughs) series of FIFA matches at the apartment 
Alex won 51 to 41 after like a 15 game winning streak at the end. We will get into that another day. But today, I think we've covered all that we can possibly cover. Uh, We've had a great time. I hope that you have as well. Uh, Join us next time. We're working on some guests here. We've got a few sort of kind of balls in the air, I guess, that we're juggling and we'll figure it out. But anyway, we will see you next time on Let It Ride, now part of the Bandit Radio Network. Love you, Mom. Yeah.